Mr. Perkins. Tell me how you're doing right now. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, man. It's like, um, you know, I'm uh, such a big fan of yours. You know, I've, I've seen your uh, specials. I also uh, your special take note. Uh, I saw it on Netflix. I've currently it's currently on uh, on uh, Amazon Prime right now. And I had the chance to rewatch it. And it's a very great piece of work. I've also seen your uh, 40, uh, like 47 minutes set on on dry bar, which. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, big fan of yours. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on here on Against the Family. Oh, man, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, that's what's up. I, uh, it's like we live in a new world. So, like, my, 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 my goal is that some people that I hit up, I don't hit up a lot of people, but every now and then you hit up someone and, you know, you want them to get back to you, right? So then you have to try to get back to other people as well. So. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you. And I know you hit me a few times. I didn't see that first, but yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, so I'm happy yeah, to be here. And, uh, I feel a little bad, you know, I wish I could give you like, you know, a bigger intro, but you know, I I, I stink at intros, you know, we go back uh, all uh -huh. 20, 27, 27 past episodes. I just think I want to give you, you know, that intro, like you've seen him on Conan, you've seen him on a uh, late night with Stephen Colbert. And like, I, I knew if uh, I was going to mess that up. Uh, nah, it's so good, so good. And to do the, the main thing is you, huh? You plug my main things, so, so that's what's up. So people watching can go and check those out. You know. Yeah, uh, the dry bar is uh, the dry bar uh, a comedy uh, video. It's on it's on YouTube, so that's accessible to everyone. Uh, right, exactly. And uh, I wanted to give you a big intro like that, but you know, uh, it kind of is like it gave me a weird feeling because. Uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, you're kind of Wikipedia famous already. So, oh, is that right? Yeah. So, like, how's that? Like, well, but you know, I feel like uh, I I want to like give this dude. I want to give this dude a proper intro, but like, I feel like if I do any more research, it'll come off as kind of creepy. You know? Oh, I see. I see. No, no, no. It's all good. I mean, you know it's that, like uh, wait a second. That that personal life part uh, on Wikipedia comes on. Like, ah, I'm not gonna like get too. Uh, too creepy right, about right. it. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to bring up your childhood stories <laughs> while we're on here. I gotta check it out because you know the crazy thing is, um, I try to be not too, you know, not too angry or just whatever about it. it is what it is what it is. But there's another comic with my name, so I, I've actually seen him. Is he was on Comedy Central? Yeah, um, he spells this differently, but they say it the same, and. Uh, so I want to double check because every now and then, even when you hit me up, I was like, uh, and then when you start talking, obviously, you know who I am and you, you, you're trying to hit up me. But sometimes people tag me on his things and it's it's a little bit annoying. I should have dealt with it when I first heard about him, you know, like maybe called him. But I felt like I, I shouldn't have had to because I was here first. But it's his name, I guess. So, you know, what, what can I do? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um... Yeah, we're we're talking about the uh the, the the gay comedian from from who had his, who had his set on com on Comedy Central, right? Yeah, I think he's from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's good. Um what else did I want to say? Oh yeah, so uh of course like bringing up, you know, I don't wanna I didn't wanna do the uh the you know look too far into you. I, you know, I just like wanted to know, you know, uh what peop what most people have seen you in. And uh, I like to like let you take over. Like when I tell you, you know, when I, if I ask you, you know, like how did you get started uh, doing comedy, you know, because you know that's a, uh, you know, we all know like Dave Chappelle's story. He's been doing comedy since he was fourteen. You know, people, you know. So I, I like to give it to you. You know, like you tell us how, how uh, you got started uh, in the comedy scene. And also help me, uh, someone who's young, trying to, you know, start start doing stand up. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me. Um, when I was in college and back in New York, I went to a school called New York Institute of Technology. And um, I don't know, I guess I just, even in high school, I wasn't the class clown. Let's start there. You know, most comics aren't that, aren't that like gregarious. I was, um, I was funny though, but I wasn't like at the, at the forefront of everything. But in college, I guess I started to like um, host events at my school just I would just host and I'd crack jokes in between and then what happened was um, a friend of mine 
we went away for summer break and we came back and a friend of mine told me he started doing stand-up and I was like word that's crazy and I didn't even know how to do it I, I love stand-up but I didn't know how to do it and then um the next summer I was um that was at the there's there's this thing called the black business expo I don't know if it's still around but back then it was like showcase black businesses try to encourage people to spend within the community. And in New York, there's a, a convention center. And so there was a black business expo. So I went there and one of the businesses that, you know, was there was a comedy club, the Uptown Comedy Club. So at that point, I believe I was already writing jokes, my little jokes. And then I, I went to their table and asked them a few questions about, cause they were there to try to get people to come see the show. But I had questions about being being a comic, and they were really nice. They were great people. They said, "And and how old were you at the time?" I was in my twenties, so um, I don't know, twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Maybe twenty twenty in between, maybe twenty one. And then I went to the table, and they said, uh, "We'll come here on Wednesdays." On Wednesday, come. It was in Harlem, so they come up to Harlem on Wednesdays. They have a showcase. They were nice enough to have a not a showcase, a workshop. So I went to like. So I think my whole thing was uh, the next week I went to uh, to see a comedy show, my first comedy show ever in the city in Manhattan. Um, I'm from Brooklyn. It was at the Improv. So I went to see that show. Then I went to another show at the Uptown Comedy Club. Then I went to the workshop and they just sort of explained things. And then like within two weeks, I think the following Sunday, I was on the show. They have a thing called the New Jack segment. And it's really trial by fire. So they bring you out and they say, at the end, of, you do like four or five minutes and they say, can you stay? And then they, they say yes or no. You can always come back though, but the crowd gets to boo you if they don't like, it's not like the Apollo, just at the end they say, is it good, can you stay? And so I did well my first time. Most, you'll find most comics do well their first time, most of the time, because it's just pure adrenaline. And then the second time I bombed, and then, you know, that's when, when you bomb, that's almost when you become a comic. When you first bomb and then you come back, that's when you start building up that tough skin. So then from there, I just I just kept doing it. I I didn't really start right away though, because I went back to school. And so like I did it for a summer, went back to school, you know, hosted a few things, but I wasn't doing it every day. Then I then I went upstate New York to do a co-op to do a, a job at General General Electric. Um, and then when I finally graduated college is when I really started and I moved to Boston. That's when I really started doing it like three or four times a week. Oh, that's yeah. You look at uh, many people who start who uh, many comedians and they, their story always starts like at college. And it's yeah. usually usually at that point is like our first sense of freedom when we move out of our parents' house. Because uh, truth be told, no parent wants to wants to see uh, hear that their their child wants to become a comedian it's uh right. it's like it comes to like it, it aligns with like i don't know stripper and drug dealer for some reason because it's <laughs> like, <laughs> because it is it's um there's no like uh corporate ladder there's no way you could work your way up it's either you work at it to the point where you either uh consistently is consistently good at it or you work at it where you like 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 the rock star lifestyle you you blow up from you blow up and you 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 uh exposed to all all this fame i like like i think that's what happened to to uh just uh like these there's like these young like because you go on social media now you see all these uh uh all these guys all these uh, you know um people people doing skits and become uh just that just go viral and they become you know right they, got, go, they go from having like a thousand followers one day to like three million the next uh over like they're you know doing skits and everything like haha davis uh i think uh desi banks who right. are actually funny so actually pretty funny so and yeah you yeah it's it's well, I'm sorry, what are you saying? No, go ahead. It's like a different animal altogether. It's like, um, you know, like I'm playing catch up in that space, like to do something short, funny, viral. Um, it's just another form of storytelling, so I can't hate on it. But some of, some, a lot of uh, 
like little sketches or like they're really like street jokes that like I've been telling for years and years and years, you know, not, not that I wrote, but just jokes that you hear people say in bars and people are kind of now acting those jokes out, which is brilliant. Um, and I think it's weird because sometimes people get that fame and then they don't have anything to follow it up with, you know? Um, I would say in terms of what you said about parents, that's, that's absolutely true. The good thing for me though, being from Brooklyn and the era I'm from, like, it was weird. My mom had high, high expectations for me, but at the same time, she just didn't want me to get in trouble. You know what I mean? So it is kind of weird when you go to college and then after college, you know, you finish and then you start doing comedy. They're like, but I kind of like split the difference because I did, I did get a job out of school and I worked. So that way, like, it felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do, but I'm from a you know place where most people don't, um, at the time, at least most people don't, go to college, a lot of people don't finish high school. So in that sense, once I finished high school, like I, my job was done kind of thing. And I think, you know, you're right though about the corporate thing, because there's a joke I always think of that people say, um, it's to sort of like, it's to sort of showcase what you were saying. You know, I don't know if you ever heard this, but what do you call a doctor? Uh, excuse me, I messed up the joke already. But it's just, what do you call a person who finishes at the, um, absolute last in his medical school class like he he finishes at the bottom of his medical school class you know what you call him you call him doctor right exactly so in comedy it's like it, there's no middle class right so there's no like you know like you said you're either like people think you're either like boom you're kevin hart or you're struggling you know but the reality is not that the reality is that I know guys who um, are not famous comedians, especially guys I knew in Boston when I used to live there. I'm from Brooklyn, but I lived in Boston for like five years, four, four or five years. I know guys who, they've never been on TV, okay? Never have any kind of credit like that. But just doing stand-up, they've made enough money to like buy a house and put two kids through college. So like, that's what people do when they work at IBM or Xerox, right? They buy a house, they put two kids through college. So. I think people don't realize there's a there's a, a quote unquote middle class of comedy because you can do corporates, you can do cruise ships, you can do clubs. And the good thing about comedy is once you get it going, it makes you your own, you're running a small business, right? So you become a lot better at money and spending money because when you work a regular job, you know this check is coming every week and you kind of like start spending money before you have it. But as a comic, you don't spend money before you have it. In fact. You're always planning for like, okay, what if six months from now it dries up? I don't get any gigs. So you learn how to budget your money a lot better. I think I'm a, I'm much better at money because of stand-up or better with money, I should say. So like for up and coming comedians, like we're in a different era because I don't know uh, what era that was when you were coming up, whether it was the like late 90s or early 2000s, but what would you say like yeah, is yeah, the biggest 90s. challenge? Like, what would you say is the biggest challenge for like young comedians to come up to come uh, come up these days? You know what's crazy? It's like what you're doing is great, and I don't know if you've hit the stage yet, but like connecting, networking. I think the I'm lucky because I'm already I'm I'm in right and comedically, so enough people know me. I have enough credits. Um, I can use those credits to go overseas, which I do a lot. Not 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 this year, obviously. But I think for newer comics, it's like, well, there's two, two, two things I would say. One, the game is more based on marketing than and self-promotion than it is on, you know, than it is on being funny and writing jokes. But I would say to a new comic, don't let that fool you. Like still focus on your jokes and your writing. It's like a sports analogy where like, if you're a great athlete or you're really fast, you're really strong, you jump really high, you still should learn the fundamentals of whatever sport you're playing, you know? And because someone someone who's not as gifted as you can always outdo you if they know the fundamentals. Oh yeah, most definitely. So I think, I think comics today, newer comics starting, for instance, like a comic will do, will do their first set, their first set ever. Like I told you, my first set was in Harlem. They'll do their first set and then put it on YouTube. And like from someone from my era, I'm like, 
how can you put your first set? No one's ready to see that yet. That's not that's not what you're going to be unless unless you're trying to show people the whole journey. So in a way, it's brilliant. In a way, it's not. So it's it's like there's no rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would say get good first because a lot of people want to get like they do comedy one time. They have a headshot. They have a business card, and the old head in me is and, like, no, no, no. But it, but they're not wrong either. And that's I do want to. I do want to. I do want to bring up like uh, yes. I, I watch a lot of you know uh, what they consider young comedians are guys like 35, 36 years old. Uh, like Andrew, like Andrew Schultz, uh, uh, who's who's very hilarious. Uh, Chris DeStefano. Uh, yeah, these yeah. guys that are those guys are considered young guys coming up, and they've probably been doing stand up since they they were like like night like 19, 18, something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't think I can say I'm a young guy now, but I was a young guy for like almost twenty but years. You could, but you could you say you, you hit your prime. You could say you hit your prime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because like, and so I'm sorry. Because Bill ahead. Burr, Bill Burr is is like uh, 50, 51, I think, 50, 50 some yeah, years yeah. old. Uh, and he just hit his prime doing arenas. Yeah. And he just had like his best special yet, uh, Paper Tiger, all, all on Netflix. Right. And Bill, Bill's a friend of mine. I, he's a guy that um, it's weird because in comedy, he's he's like one class above me in terms of time. He like like when he was a, a junior, I was a freshman kind of because I lived in Boston, he's from Boston. And yeah, it's amazing what he's done. And, um, but that's the thing with standup. It's like, you know, you probably heard this before too. Like there's this thing about this, this Shogun or this like sort of, uh, I think Shogun or, you know, uh, ninja type thing. And he wants to be, he's a martial artist. He wants to be, you know, he's talking to his teacher and he says, um, he says, how long will it take me to become great, you know? And then the teacher said, oh, it'll take you 10 years. It'll take you 10 years to become great. And he said, no, you don't get it. I'm going to like focus on this every day. I'm going to put everything I have into it. And the teacher said, well, in that case, it'll take you 20. And I think people don't understand that. Like, that's why there's these two tracks. There's the self-promotion personality get a lot of fans and, and that's great but then there's a like get really extremely good at stand-up and that's what like bill burr that's the track he was on but that's a really long 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 track because stand-up is weird like it's like you're always getting better but if someone sees you they might think you're better at year five than you were at year 10. now in reality you're going to be better at year 10 than you are at year five but just because you're always changing and everything is always changing, you might actually be doing better at year five. You might be getting better laughs five years in than 10 years in. But then like 20 years in, you're unstoppable. You know what I mean? But in that time, it goes up and down. And I think um, it's, it's really hard, I think, for comics starting now because you have to think of both things. You have to think of being a brand, managing your brand, but also being you know, being funny and good and your voice and writing jokes, you know? Yeah, but, all uh, right. And another uh, thing is like, uh, when it comes to like being be, being edgy in comedy, you know, uh, I don't know if you consider, uh, uh, I, I don't know if you consider yourself this, but I consider you a clean comic. You know, there's a, if there's right, a spectrum, right. a, a spectrum of edgy, I put you on like one end of the spectrum and uh, next is like Jerry Seinfeld and, and whatnot, but at the other end of the spectrum, uh, this guy like Doug Stanhope or Jim Jeffries, right, and like, right. And but those guys been in the game since like since uh, you know the since I don't know the early two thousands. But you know, but what would you say like? And one joke I wanted to bring up that one my favorite joke uh, from your special take note is the uh, uh, one voucher a year to slap a woman. Oh, that's crazy. You know, I probably couldn't do that joke today, but go ahead. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was too, 2016 uh, when when uh, I think Take Note, when I first saw Take Note, when it first came out. And yes, yes, that was uh, that was my favorite. But, you know, like the rest of the special compared to that, that's like the edgiest you got. You got like that's the most, uh, you know, taboo to say you right. got. Um. Of course, now with cancel cancel culture, you know, and I don't think uh, 
uh, this isn't a don't take this as a shot, but I don't think we see what Kevin Hart's going through. I don't think you're like big enough to like survive getting canceled. No, no. You know what though? Honestly, is you're absolutely right. Um, I don't take it personal. I actually almost got canceled last year on, on about something else. It was crazy. Um, I was in this movie, and I don't mind talking about that. I was in this movie called Laquisha, right? And a friend of mine, he had this idea. It's a white guy, and he, the idea was, he's like, he's a bartender. And you know, people go to bartenders for like counseling, kind of, right? When they can't afford, you know, because bartenders they talk to people. They, so he's this bartender who knows how to counsel people, and he wants to get a job at a radio station, but he pretends to be a black woman. On, on radio though, he's not in blackface or anything. And I think he showed the movie, people liked the movie, but the trailer was not great. I think the trailer, people didn't understand what the movie was and they lost it, they just lost it. And then people started coming at me like, how can you be in this movie? And there were plenty of black people in the movie. We, The whole thing for me was like, you know, it's like if your parents tell you to do something and then you don't do it, but then someone else tells you to do the same thing and then you do it. To me, the movie was sort of studying that whole dynamic. Like, why do people listen to like black women? Because they think they're wise, especially older black women. And, but they, but their, their spouse can tell them the same thing and they won't do it, you know? And I think the movie explored that. And I think if people saw the movie, they would have been like, okay, it wasn't the greatest movie, but it was decent. But just seeing the trailer, they tried to cancel the, they canceled the movie and they almost canceled me. Um, and I think that's the sad thing about cancel culture. And that's another thing comedians have to deal with now, because like you said, that joke could possibly get me canceled, except it could only get me canceled if you only saw a bit of that joke without watching the whole special to catch the whole vibe, how I got into the joke, but people don't care anymore. Right. So I know that's something in the back of my mind. If, if I do get like more famous, people might come at me about that joke, but at the same time, you know, like Louis C.K. has said the N-word on stage. So it's weird. It, people kind of get selective about who they want to cancel. Um, right now, I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, it's not coming back to, to haunt me because people at the show laughed. You laughed when you saw it. But you definitely got to watch the whole thing to catch my vibe. If you just take that one joke out, people might be like, this guy's a maniac. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I don't, I'm not super edgy, but I try to, I try to be truthful. And I, I thought that joke was was truthful in a way and just kind of playing a little bit, not not like really wanting that to happen. You know what I mean? The, I think, I, and I think, you know, just to like, you know, we just like to, to, to give more context. The, the, the purpose of the joke was like to like, you know, the voucher is, is like a, a proposed solution, like exaggerated, of course, but a proposed solution to it's not, it's not, and you also said it, you know, you're trying to like, I, I'm not promoting domestic violence. It's not for your right. it's for women in the streets who are the reason why men, well, I'm paraphrasing women in the street who are the reason why men get into fights. Right. Right. It was like, it was like, you can't use it. The, the thing was a voucher to slap. <laughs> and, and I think if I did it today, I would say just slap anyone, you know, cause I think that would, that's how I would fix it. But it was to slap. Uh, you slap a woman once a year, not your wife, not your girlfriend. Um, and then I gave examples. And I think once I gave the examples of like when you would use it, people were like, oh yeah, that, that, that girl did deserve to get slapped. And then I think when I bring, bring, bring back, when I bring it back at the end of the joke, and I want people to see the joke, I'm not really doing it, doing it. When I say, so if you're a girl out there, most, I say, I, I'm really clear, right? I say most women would never get slapped, never get slapped, never. We don't want to do it, but if you're a girl out there and say in one month, you three different guys use their voucher on you. They only get one of these a year and they all use it on you. And it's January 3rd. Then <laughs> you've got to ask you know, yourself some questions. Of course, of course, you know, a dark day is December 31st because the vouchers don't roll over. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, it's tough because people take things out of context, right? Like, it's so interesting to use that word. You want to put the joke in context for people listening who haven't heard the joke. And I think people don't seek context anymore. And so 
they hear something and they instantly get mad. But it's kind of like, it's like when someone tells you a story about someone else and you weren't there, right? And they're like, can you believe that person did that? And you gotta be like, well, I don't know. I gotta hear that side of it because you're kind of making it look like you're the hero and they're the villain. But maybe if I talk to them, they would say they were the hero and you were the villain. And, you know, I've been watching uh, The Purge on TV, like uh, the movies, the TV show. It's similar to that joke in a sense. I never thought about that, but it's like, it's weird. I think we like, we're trying to have more humanity and that's why we're canceling people. But the way we're doing it is like with people are bullies and it's like less humanity at the end of the day. Um, it's just, it's just weird. I think, I think like when I grew up, everyone wanted to be strong. Right. And maybe that was wrong, but everyone wanted to be, you didn't, you, you know, you didn't admit whatever your flaws were. Now everybody wants to be the victim. So everybody, the whole cancer thing is like, everybody feels like they're oppressed. Everybody. And it's just a weird. Not only that, they get offended for other people who otherwise wouldn't be offended. That's a, that's a hundred percent. Right. A thousand percent right. Like, you know, um, in stand-up, if you go to like in, in clubs, it's like ongoing joke. If a black guy's on stage, or especially if say if a white guy's on stage and he does a joke about black people, you know, and it could be like an innocent joke that you could always see like the white people in the room will look to see where the other black people are. And if the <laughs> black people are laughing, <laughs> then they'll laugh, you know. But that's but that's how it should be, right? Like if they're if they're laughing then i guess i can laugh but nowadays people don't even they don't care if they're laughing they're like i'm offended i'm gonna be offended for them and like well shouldn't you ask them first if they're offended you know so yeah not only that uh i do want to bring up and take in your special take note uh i i and uh this might be me being uh having my ocd acting up i counted your f you dropped five f-bombs i and I know because I counted. <laughs> right, right. And you know what's crazy is that I didn't even mean to drop that many. Like, obviously, dry bar, I dropped none because that's a clean. Bar. Yeah, it's a dry, it's a clean thing. And I think, I think, I, I would say two of those F-bombs were planned. And then two of them, uh, the other three were not planned. So that's a little high. Like, I, just I in the know, moment? I, yeah, just in a moment. And, um, because I did, I did two, I take two shows that night and most of the special is from the second show. And both shows went really well, but I think um, first show went well, we got it. But I think the second show, I wanted to like make sure. And also a lot of the, um, the audience was half and half, like I, not half, but I probably knew personally because we had a small space. So I probably personally knew you know, 20% of the people in the audience. So I think I felt a little more relaxed with them. So it was kind of like talking to friends kind of, and that's why that happened. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things where if you're going to have five F-bombs, then you might as well have none, you know? The only joke that needed the F-bomb kind of was the name joke because the guy is supposed to say, uh, and is this a clean thing here too, or... No, it's not. You can say oh, whatever okay, you okay. want. Right, because the guy is supposed to say when he says the name, and I have a whole joke about we should we shouldn't allow people to name kids, whatever. Yeah. And he says, My that's why the fuck I work here. That's the only F bomb that I think I need. The other ones I could have I shouldn't have done. Yeah, yeah, that that hit close to home to me because <laughs> my name my, my my name is Zuriel. And <laughs> oh my right, God. right. Childhood was not easy for me. Um but, but you know it, that but you know. I did a right. short, let me cut you off. I did a short version of that joke. Is your name common somewhere else, even though it's not common here? Nah. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been, right. bro, like, my name is like so, so weird. Like, they, they've been calling me Serial so much in, in elementary school that they got so. They call this so much that they got tired by fifth grade that it's just like, oh, right. let's just try to pronounce his name. It's like, it got so bad that they started to feel bad for me. <laughs> that's how you know. That's crazy. That's dude. how you know it's getting, it, it, kids are, kids are being too rough when, when they like start, like just give up on bullet, when bullies start to feel bad for you. 
Right, right. Well, also, you probably took it the right way because once it stops bothering you, then people are going to stop doing it. Like Fruit Loops? No, I prefer Apple Jacks. Um, <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah. Uh, going back to uh, cancel, uh, uh, cancel culture, and what I want, what I really want to bring up is, you know, some people, uh, for some reason, uh, survive cancel culture or, like, survive, like, you know, like you brought up Louis C.K., uh, doing, uh, you know, he he said the N word uh, on many occasions. That I, Man, and I he and he had that other situation where he was, you know, with yeah, the, he, well, he, the he one got, he got me, he got me too, it as well. Well, yeah. he got when he got me too, but he did. Which now I think you know the 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 uh, those past jokes he made aren't gonna aren't gonna help his case. But not only Louis C.K. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. did blackface. In, in Tropic Thunder, um, ACD and ACDC dropped an album last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, and I listen to old ACDC songs. Uh, then I and I'm listening to Back in Black again, and it was like uh, this song, "Let Me Put My Love Into You," which you know, it's kind of it's uh, kind of suspect, kind of rapey a uh, little bit. Right, right. And I was like, oh, boy, like, I'm just hoping, like, are these guys, like, it's at the point, like, are these guys next? Uh, are these guys going to be, are, are we going to really pull? Because, you know, they're going, they're going back. Um, They're going back. They they got, they went back to, like, Hugh Hefner, on uh, uh, John Wayne, people who are dead already. I was like, ACDC just dropped an album. How, like, how long, how long before what they did back in 1980 or much worse during the Bon Scott era? Uh. Where Bon Scott was dressed as a schoolgirl, uh, where uh, will will that come back to haunt him? And Bon Scott's been dead right. since 1980, and but... that's crazy. You you know your classic rock. Um, I like classic rock too, but you know the thing is like, f- f- I want to say too that I personally didn't have a problem with Louis C.K. saying the N word. Like it doesn't bother me. Like it's in terms of the context he was saying it as a comedian, it's it's hard to pull off if he can make the audience okay with it then you know i don't have a problem with it but you're right in terms of how far we're going to go back i think the problem becomes that some people are really trying to correct the right correct the wrong and you really can't unless you have a time machine right but also some people aren't some people are trying to like it's monetarily they're trying to get more money so if you cancel john wayne right then you know on a weekend on TNT or, or, or the History Channel or whatever, now they're not showing John Wayne movies. So they're gonna show somebody else's movie and someone else is gonna get that residual check or whatever. So some of this canceling is financially motivated. I think people have to keep that in mind before they jump up about everything. And the other thing is I was thinking, it's not a flushed out joke, but I was like, pretty soon they're gonna cancel someone and be like, did you hear about that guy? He, he ate his twin in the womb. Oh, that guy's a dick. You know, like how far back? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, far, how far back? You know, and yeah, that was Marshawn Lynch. But yeah, right. Hopefully, it's just a a phase, and we'll we'll get out of this phase. Because I think what happens is there'll be a backlash to this, and so I think there'll be a backlash. But it's it's internet driven too, right? Because the internet is like a wave and then some people see it and then some people see it later. And so it's hard to, and then if, if it gets like viral, you can get like canceled virally. Like everyone just gets on that. That's what happened to Bill Cosby, right? People just got on this flow and they canceled them. And I think, I don't know. I think people need to feel like they're doing good in the world. But for me, if I'm taking care of my brothers and sisters, my, my biological brothers and sisters, then I'm doing good in the world. Like, I don't need to like fix every wrong that ever happened, you know? Yeah, that's a, and another thing, you know, like people who, um, you know, I brought up, you know, guys like Doug Stanhope and Jim Jeffries, you know, these guys have been like over the top, you know, like, su- like super taboo since the beginning of their careers. Uh, Doug Stanhope right. described himself as like, I'm not mainstream comedy, uh, I'm, but I'm more like, like fetish comedy. Uh, the, I don't yeah. have a big fan base, but the fan base I do have will drive miles to see to see what I do. And it was like, you know, guy like Jim Jeffries, like been 
I don't know if you ever uh, seen a stand-up, but it, it's like so over the top, you know, people, you know, walking out of his shows, just him getting drunk on right. stage and all, and all that. And he got a TV show for three, for three years. Yeah, you know, Jim Jeffries is interesting to me because I don't, I don't know him. I haven't met him, but I've been to Australia like two times now, but like two times for like for a month each time, right? So I really, I, you know, I haven't been to everywhere, but I've been to Sydney a lot and I've been to the Gold Coast a lot and Brisbane a lot. I wish I, I kind of want to meet him only because what's weird about him is he's a really good comic. And I, I don't mean that in, in a bad light. I mean, structurally, if you look at his jokes, he writes his jokes with no fat on him. Maybe, maybe not when he's at a club, when he's just riffing and working out, but when he tapes his specials, I know they're edgy and he, he, he talks about different things, but to me, it's not edgy only because he's so succinct and so, I think, I don't think whenever you're good at something, you don't get credit for the other thing that you're good at, you know? And I think as a person, as an artist, you have to be okay with that. Meaning Michael Jordan, was incredible at shooting, incredible at defense, but people are obviously always going to go to the jumping, you know? Um, Dan Cook is incredible at act-outs, but he's a really good writer too, but people are not going to focus on that. I think Jim Jeffries is a better writer than people give him credit, and Doug Stanhope. Like, these guys, and I think that's what the new comics have to understand is these guys have their angle, they have their thing, their, their, um, their hook, but don't get it twisted. They are really solid comics. They've done, before this, they've done every type of room. I'd imagine that early in his career, Doug Stanhope probably did regular clubs. He may have even done corporates. And you know, then he got really good and then he could do what he wanted to do after that. So I think my takeaway from these guys is they're really good comics. And I think every comic should aspire to be really good. Because some people try to skip that step. Like they just want to like have a voice, but usually you have to get funny before you have a voice. You have to learn how to put the words together and then have a voice. The only, the, the acceptance I would say is like Chris Rock. I think he had his voice first, but then he had to learn how to be funny within that voice. But most people just be funny, whatever you can say that's funny. And then later on, you know, express yourself in the way you want to, but first, just be funny and like and a lot of people don't don't seem to appreciate at least a lot of people outside outside of uh outside of comedy you know if you go into comedy like com there's comedians who who love other comedians you know like uh someone like uh uh norm mcdonald he's a they they call him a comedian's comedian um right one of one of my favorite comedians of all time is uh is bill hicks uh bill nice. hicks is like no, I, I think he's one of the greatest ever. He's one of my top top three, probably. Uh, right. I are you are you in Texas? Are I'm you in, in I'm, Texas? I'm, yeah, I'm from Houston, Texas. I live in Brenham now while I'm going to college. Oh, okay, okay, because yeah, he's oh, cool, cool. Yes. Well, but I uh, I was I was born in 2001, so. Whoa, that was... that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it, it must sound weird coming from coming from me. I was born in 2001, but. I found like one. I discovered Bill Hicks uh, through social media, which is weird. Mm -hmm. But what made Bill Hicks so great? He didn't have a huge following when when he was alive. His huge following, right. uh, but uh, what made him so great was that he was so ahead of his time. That you know, it was like not mean, mainstream. It was like too taboo. Like uh, uh, you know, like you know the 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 set that was cut out of uh, the David Letterman show. Uh, that, right. that didn't, didn't air until 2009 and it was like you know this this was like so taboo back then but like today is like you know pure pure comedy is like it, it's a right. it was it, it was like a magnificent set and like and here's how here's how ahead of his time uh bill hicks was back in his special sane man uh which is my favorite one of my, my favorite out of out of all of his uh had a his joke um he joked, started joking about rock stars. He had a joke about rock stars uh, and how drugs, uh, you know, the war on drugs is bogus. It, like, and he says, like, if that if that is so bogus, how come Keith Richards is still is still walks? And this is 1989. I, I have to remind you. Uh, he had a whole set about how Keith Richards um, 
outlived, you know, a health nut, uh, Jim Fix, who wrote books about <laughs> jogging. And right. Bill Hicks passed away in 1994. It, today is 2020. And Keith Richards is still alive. <laughs> like, oh, my That's God. Cr- That's crazy. And 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 if I don't know if I, I, I assume Keith Richards still does, does some level of drugs. What, once you get to that level, you got to keep doing the drugs. And like if he stops doing drugs, he'll die the next week. You're like his body is just sort of adjusted to it, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I think Bill Hicks, and, but like he's a good example. So far ahead of his time, but a really funny, funny, funny comic. You know, I think when people see a Bill Hicks, if, as a young comic, you want to you wanna be Bill Hicks. And that's, that's great. He, he's something you should aspire to. But you can't be Bill Hicks like right out the gate. You know what I mean? Like even in the back of your mind, I want to be Bill Hicks. And that's the beauty about when I came up is that say you want to be Bill Hicks or you, whoever you, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, the people you thought were like the greatest comics. Um, in my day, when I was in Boston, I would do shows in the city of Boston. And this, you know, Boston's kind of metropolitan. It's not New York, but you can do, you can be experimental. You can go to Cambridge, which is very liberal and do whatever you want. But then you also, you have to go to like a bar in New Hampshire and and the people aren't so smart there. Not smart, I shouldn't say that, God forgive me. Um, not, not, not smart in terms of, they're brilliant. They're, they're not looking for that type of comedy. Like they're looking for just laughs. And so as you become well-rounded, you know, like I think nowadays comics only do the type of rooms they want to do, which is kind of cool because you can build your audience. But when I came up, you know, you had to do all types of different rooms and that just made you, it kind of like, it's good and bad because it makes you good, makes you funny, makes you, you know, you learn how to like weave the jokes and everything, but you do write jokes that are more, more universal and, and nowadays people think that's bad but when i came up you wanted to make everyone laugh and now if you make everyone laugh people feel like you're being a little too vanilla you know so i don't know what the answer is do you find your your little audience like doug stanhope but i think or do you are you universal i think in the beginning though it's good to just try to be universal you know i tell people like like if you see a picasso painting and the eye is over here and the nose is over there and it's like oh this is amazing but Picasso could also paint a bowl of fruit. He could paint a landscape. He learned how to do all those basic paintings first. And then he started putting the nose over here and the cubic realism, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, in all these cases, like when the alternate, when, I don't know if you know alt comedy, when, when the alternative comedy thing started, it was people like David Cross. Uh, you could even put Stan Hope in that, you know, Janine Garofalo and but these people, they started their own little movement, but they were, they also did the mainstream rooms, you know, where it's just a couple and they have a, they get a babysitter that night. You know what I mean? So like the average club, the average club and anywhere in the country, they're not really looking for like a social lesson or anything. They just want to laugh, you know? Yeah. And like, and like I brought, like I brought up, and I think it's what makes you, uh, what makes you so easy to cancel is that you're broad at the beginning, but then when like you narrow down, it's too taboo for like the people you excluded, which right. that's, like I said, like if you're Doug Stanhope from the beginning, like edgy, like just nasty with your comedy, and you just go straight out, like these people were never a part of your base, but once like you start broad then you narrow down a little bit. These people now feel excluded. Like that happened to Sebastian Maniscalco at the, mm. uh, at the, at some oh. music awards he hosted. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't hear about that. Um, that's, that's a brilliant point you say, because, and that's, that's what the internet does is that when I first started, you're right. You can be broad, but when I first started, you were broad, but not that many people knew you yet. And, and so maybe you're right. Like now your first, three or four years in comedy, you might be known more than when, like when I was doing it, no one knew you until you did like a late night spot. And then a few people knew you. And then you did another late night spot then a few people knew you. So you're absolutely right. Because with the dry bar, I have more fans from dry bar 
really than anything else because I don't know the clean comedy audience is so supportive you know and so like my clips on Drybar gets millions of hits and so yeah if those people come and see me they don't want to see me cursing or doing super taboo stuff so you're absolutely right about that it's it's you know who else suffers from that is um the guy from Full House um Bob Saget Bob Saget yeah because oh, he's yeah. he's filthy his comedy is filthy and people are coming and thinking they're seeing the Full House guy and so yeah. you're, you're right and I don't I don't and you know I mean you kind of turn you kind of turn my mind around a little bit because you're right about that like it's but at the same time, you know, at some point you might lose a few fans. Hopefully you don't, you know, because I don't have a desire to be too dark. But yeah, like that joke, people would be like, whoa, you know, but that's when you're doing a longer set, when you're doing like 30, 40, 45 minutes an hour, you can you can get people relaxed and then hit them with the whatever. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I do it, too. And I think I'm in a I'm at a crossroad because I want to do another special and I want it to be truthful. I want it to be silly. I can make it more biting, but I'm just not sure like how to calibrate it, you know? So, like, so um, with, with the uh, Dwayne Perkins uh, reinvention, like if you had to reinvent yourself, would that be out of the question? Uh, like Bob Saget had, like, I don't know if Bob Saget was always filthy and just did Full House for that, that time span, then went back to being a filthy comic, or if he just did full right. house was a clean was clean up until then did ho i heard he hosted some some shows when he was young and then reinvented himself because he wanted to do more like filthy material but yeah well, i think i'm sorry go ahead yeah, yeah. The, the like the question i wanted to ask you like how would a uh a, a Dwayne perkins reinvention like uh uh go how would you reinvent yourself if that was an option if not you know you could you know just keep doing what you're doing and have your fan base grow uh, as it is right right you know that's a that's a brilliant question i think that i wouldn't change that much it's weird because in my mind i wouldn't change much but because of cancel culture people might react like i changed a lot i think i would i would just challenge people a little bit more um uh so i would be still fairly clean but i would just challenge um societal norms and for me, my comedy always, I don't go after society. You know, I go after people because I think people make up society. So I think I would, the thing about it is like, I know how to say things without being offensive, which is a gift and a curse. Because I think it's so interesting that you, you mentioned that joke because when people see me, they don't think I can have a joke like that. That's, that's out, that outrageous. But a lot of my stuff, and I don't think it. I don't think. Outrageous. I don't think it helped your case for your special. You wore a, a sweater or like that. Right, right, exactly. But that's I the like, thing. Like, want, look, he looks nice. He looks you very relaxed. Right, you want to relax them and then hit them with the, with the truth. And it didn't help that Bill Cosby got into his situation because that, that kind of made sweaters. Because yeah. they were like, we, we trusted people in sweaters. Now we can't trust people in sweaters anymore. But I think, um, in terms of how would I change. Yeah, just be a little, a little more biting, a little more like. I'm, I mean, like I'm, 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 like what you see is who I am. But I think, yeah, I can challenge people a little bit more. Um, I think it, it. I'm not sure if people would take to it, but I think it's tough because when you're doing it as long as I can, I can write a joke, and. I can just change a few things and make it completely acceptable to the masses. You know, it's really the same jokes. It's just a matter of, am I leaving out this one or two things that I could say to put it over the top? And I think if I was gonna rewrite myself right now, rewrite, like sort of redefine myself, mainly I'd be silly, but also a little more biting, but not in the Bill Hicks way, just more, and like, I'm not taking down the man, I'm not taking down the system, but I, I always want to challenge people and call people on their stuff. Because I think we always try to like, look up here when we got to look here, like it's about what you do. So yeah. that's my main thing. Yeah, well, like one thing I want to bring up, like when I went on my, when, whenever I hit the stage is like, you know, 
you know, we heard the the girl who uh, finally uh, uh, played for for uh, Division One Power Five football team uh, as a kicker. Oh yeah, she she kicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she kicked. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we they made history, and like I want to bring up, uh, it, it kind of sucked. The kick kind of sucked uh, a little bit. <laughs> and, right. and the uh, I don't want to. Of course, it's history, and I hope she. I, I I do believe she will get better. She's a she's a soccer player at that school, and she and she might might get be. She if she works on it, she'll get better one day. But that same day, a dude ran for four hundred plus yards and scored eight touchdowns, and no one paid him any mind because we were all focused on on this girl uh, shooting a squib kick. Right, right. But that's great, and I think and. And the thing is, can you say that without people getting mad? That's the job of the comedian, right? Is to like, because like when you think of the emperor's clothes and it, the emperor's naked and he's going through the town and everyone's pretending that he has clothes on, the person that's gonna say the emperor is naked is either gonna be a kid, a child or a comedian, you know? And I think um, that's a great point that you say. And it's just a matter of, you know, it's really interesting. I like what you're saying about just be that bold from the beginning. But the other thing I was going to say is when you talk about redefining yourself with anything like that, the, the issue of money does come in play. Oh, yeah. And I, I think once you are financially like flush and you're stable, then you can be like, you know what? I want to do this. And I don't, it doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say I'm quite at that point, but it, I'm getting there because I, you know, I'm decent with money, so like this, but I wouldn't change drastically, but it would be nice to be in a position where, okay, I wanna do this joke. I might lose a few fans. Hopefully they'll come back, but that's okay. Yeah, one of you my know? favorite comedians is Patrice O'Neill, just for his, you know, crowd work. Cause he's just like, he was just a funny guy that got on stage and he was brutal, brutally funny. He like, honest, like, and I read stories about how he, you know, like sabotage his own opportunities just to have a laugh. You know, and speaking on that, oh, yeah. you know, and speaking on that, you know, uh, you know, th in this industry, you know, unexpectedly, there's like a lot of deaths, like, you know, like in the in rock, like old rock stars, you know how they die young from uh, like whether, whether it be overdoses or living that rock, rock star lifestyle it catches up to them and they pass away at a young age. In comedy, you know, we, we hear that uh, we hear that as well, but we're not living that, you know, that fast life lifestyle. We're not trashing hotel rooms, you know. You hear names like Lenny Bruce, uh, Bill Hicks, Sam Kinison, who Sam Kinison, you could say he lived the rock star lifestyle. But, uh, you know, Greg Giraldo, Patrice O'Neill, Ralphie May, you know, guys who, who uh, you know, left far before the, their time. And uh, like, what would you say, like, it leads to us, you know, like, uh, you know, comedy, like, I, I think comedy is an art of, you know, broken of broken men who, uh, and like maybe that's why like so but what do you think that's attributed to that you know com you know a lot of comedians you know we uh you know uh, go through like this much pain and you know most of us you know don't make it to old age right i think a lot of it is um it's it's a combination is childhood some sometimes it's dysfunction in, in a childhood but also you know, when you see the world a certain way and everyone else doesn't, you know, I think it can, it, it can wear on you. Like for you, you know, it's a small thing, but for you seeing that girl and she kicks and it's great, you know, that's amazing that she can kick and be on a football team with, with men. And then this other guy scores four touchdowns and no one says anything. Hey. The, the comedian's brain is like, we're always fighting programming. Everyone else is, they're very susceptible to being programmed. This is good. This is bad. This is, you know what I mean? But you and I, our brains are like, wait, wait, wait. why is this good? Why is this bad? And so, you, you know, you kind of live in a whole life with dissonance, with that little like, and I can wear on you because it's like a matrix and you took the other pill. You took the pill that keeps you woke. While that's good, the bad thing is that now you see what's messed up. You know, you're not, they say ignorance is bliss. And so you don't have that bliss anymore. So I think that's part of it. I think that mixed with, you know, some sort of dysfunction in the childhood or, or need for approval. 
it puts some comics in that, you know, in that track where they're just not happy, you know, or they're happy, but not at, yeah, I could say not happy. Also, we keep late hours. So, you know, nothing good happens after midnight, they say. So, you know, you do a show, you're up late, you know, just it, just bad things can happen. So it's, it's a combination of all those things. But I made, me personally, I, I was talking to my friend and I knew Patrice, he was a good friend of mine. I, 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 that, was my, that was my guy for sure. Um, but I remember me and Gary Goldman were talking once and we were talking about like Richard Pryor and how great he is. And Gary's my dude, like we came up together in Boston, like that's my guy, right? And we were just saying how it's, it's weird. We, we came to Hollywood at the same time and we both just said we, 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 we'd rather not be Richard Pryor and live longer. <laughs> you know, not that that's the option, not that like you can be Richard Pryor and live long, but if, if being as good as Richard Pryor means you have to live that life and suffer that pain, then me personally, I, would, I don't need to be as good as Richard Pryor. Some people might think that's not great, but I have a family, you know, not, not children, but I have a family that loves me. And you know what I mean? Like the rock star life is cool, but I, I'd rather be here than not be here and be celebrated. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes we, we, we uh, have to face that choice, you know. Uh, this is this this is a strange world we live in, you know. Uh, I don't know if I should say this, but Magic Johnson outlived Kobe Bryant, you know. That's okay. Magic Johnson outlived Kobe Bryant, you know. When we thought Magic Johnson was gonna die right. back in right. back in ninety ninety, I don't know what it was ninety two. You know. Yeah. You know, Greg Giraldo passed away. You know, after he sobered up and he he passed away uh, from from prescription meds. And Charlie Charlie Sheen is still kicking. Say it's that nice. again. The last thing I didn't hear. Hmm. Sorry. I didn't hear the last thing you said. I'm sorry. The last. Oh yeah. You know. You know. I didn't. I didn't hear the last thing. Yeah. 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 Like I brought up. You know, uh, Greg Giraldo sobered up. You know, towards the end of his life, and passed away, and, and still passed away from from prescription meds. And you know, we it's a guy like Charlie Sheen is still kicking. Uh, also, bringing back up the uh, bringing back up the Keith the, the Keith Richards thing, who's still alive today. Right, right. That's like Keith Richards, um, Ozzy Newsom. So life life is like you know, just life is strange. You know, you never know. Oh yeah, they, absolutely. They say man makes plans and God laughs. Right. So. Uh, and, you know, and that's the, that's the crazy thing. I mean, I think that's the reason why some people live hard lives because they know it can all be, be gone in a second, you know? So it's like, it's like that finding that balance um, because you can live a straight life, never touch anything, no drugs, no nothing and get hit by a bus. Like this is just what happens sometimes. So, um, but that's where comedy comes in too. So let's make, Let's let's celebrate and make fun of everything, because let's not take ourselves that seriously. At the end of the day, you know, and I think it's becoming harder to do that with cancel culture. But you know, like I think if you, I don't know if you say it on stage, but if you say what you said about that kicker, who can disagree with that? Like, and that's the thing with comedy when it hits the right way and it's funny, people they can't get offended because they laugh first. You know what I mean? And I think that's. Um, that's kind of what we should be doing, you know, making them laugh before they get offended. Yeah. Yeah. Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I'm uh, uh, really getting ready to wrap this up. You know, we had a lot of great conversation, you know, uh, I, I want to thank you again for coming on here, you know, helping this pot, uh, helping my podcast grow, uh, you know, just try trying to get this started. You know, I started this podcast and from the beginning because, you know, I want to be a comedian, you know, you know, and it started, it, this was during COVID. No, no, nothing was open. Had nowhere to do, start doing stand-up. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, it's great that, that to have you on here, you know, as the fir first comedian I, I could, I could get on. So uh, I really appreciate that. Anything you want to say before we wrap this up? Uh, just thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, if people want to check out my, I'm, I'm Dwayne Perkins on Instagram. I have two books on Amazon, one called Zombie Run, one called Hot Chocolate for the Mind. And uh, listen to this podcast. And yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you, man. All right, Dwayne Perkins, ladies and gentlemen.